0: What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here for The Scaled Show. Why to share this with you today? This is a previous episode where I go through and I dissect my learnings from interviewing over 100 CEOs. And this is hyper-relevant for what's about to happen in 24 and the end of this year in 23 when this is being recorded. So why to I share this with you again and make sure this is on your radar because this was a gem. People absolutely loved it. So hope you enjoy it if you haven't listened to it. If you have listened to it, feel free to check it out again. I know I'm going to do the same thing. And I hope you enjoy the episode. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. I have a very, very special guest with me today. I have Terry Jones. So Terry is best known for founding Travelocity as well as Kayak, in which he took them to a $1.8 billion exit. That's trace Comas right there, a billion-dollar exit. Um, Terry Jones has become a powerful voice in the world of entrepreneurship through numerous speaking engagement and publication of his books, Innovation On and Disruption Off, which I absolutely love. Um, at the same time, he's a managing principal of On, Inc., as a consultancy. He's now on 20 boards, which I thought was amazing, man, that you're on 20 boards. I don't know how you find been, the time. I've been on 20 boards. I'm only at oh, you, five, right? Now. Okay. Okay. I was like, wow, how are you doing 20? Okay.
1: So no, I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah, I'd never do anything else.
0: <laughs> um, and so he's also the holder of several patents, which we didn't even get a chance to talk about man. That, that as well. So that's pretty cool. So welcome. Happy to have you on, Terry. Really looking forward to our conversation today, man. Great to be with you, Ryan. Yeah, so um, it was great chatting with you a little bit before and just kind of getting your viewpoint on what's happening, what's going on right now in the world and, you know, kind of your history as well. So, however, uh, the listeners did not get that chance to really sit back and hear about your history. So can you just walk everyone through your your superhero origin story and kind of how you came about and how, how this how this man Terry Jones was created. Yeah, I I arrived on a small
1: spacecraft from a faraway planet. No. Um, Well, I didn't know, you know, I went to college and majored in history. And uh, when college was finished, I was sure I was going to go to Vietnam. I had a low draft number. And uh, I got rejected by the draft because of my back. So I didn't have to go to Vietnam, thank God. Um, And my college roommate Dad was a pilot for Trans World Airlines, which at the time was the second largest airline in the world. He said, I have a free pass and I'm going to lose it um, if I go to grad school. So I'm going to spend a year going around the world. And uh, another friend and I said, Well, we'll go with you. So we spent a year traveling around the world. I recommend it to anybody who can do it when they get out of school. You'll never get that chance again. Go travel, learn about other cultures. I came back and said, I want to get in the travel business. So I went to school at night. Uh, to learn how to be a travel agent, learn how to write tickets and compute fares. There were no computers in those days. Um, went to work for a travel company. Um, I was the only guy who spoke English as a native language. You know, we had the Polish desk and the Russian desk and the Spanish desk. <laughs> um, I was a receptionist. And six months in, my manager said, let's go do a startup. So we quit and we opened a travel company focused on Eastern Europe and the USSR. Uh, which was booming at the time, and uh, so I spent five years traveling back and forth to Russia. We uh, built a build a big business. We became the 50th largest travel company in the U.S. in five years. And but during that time, I got into computing, and uh, I jumped to the computer company that we were using. It was selling computers to travel agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I was in sales, and I even did installations. So I install the software and uh, then make the sale and uh, teach them how to do accounting. Uh, And after about six months, that company, we sold it to American Airlines. So suddenly, uh, I was in American Airlines. And after a year and a half, I got named president of that division uh, and then started working my way up in marketing. Uh, And then after, I don't know, four or five years in marketing, my boss said, well, we're going to send you over to IT and you're gonna run application development. I said, I don't know anything about that. They said, you'll do fine. <laughs> so I had 500 developers, uh, and then they, after three years, they said, we're gonna put you in charge of computer operations. And that was 2,000 people, a $300 million budget. I said, I don't know anything about computer apps. Oh so, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> so i did that. Uh, and then I became chief information officer uh, of American Airlines Sabre. Uh, And while I was doing that, we had this little online system that was on AOL and CompuServe, Prodigy. uh, And the travel agents, who were big customers of the airline, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. and we automated them, woke up to the fact that we had an online product. And they said, you should shut that off. You're selling bullets to the enemy. People are going to go direct and make their own bookings. Turn it off. And our chairman said, no, somebody's going to do it. It should be us. Give it to Jones over in IT. He used to be a travel agent. We'll hide it over there. (laughs) So uh, the first thing I did, it was 1996, was put it on the internet. The internet had just been deregulated. And that became Travelocity.com. So that was really entrepreneurship, figuring out how to build that against a lot of opposition in the company. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, we were competing with our major customer travel agents. and I, my whole book on innovation is about that entrepreneurship. So we built it up and took it public. We had a billion-dollar IPO um, and ran it as a public company for several years. And then eventually, uh, Sabre, the computer division of American, decided it was too important to be public. They wanted to own it, uh, mm-hmm. so they bought it back. And you know, we were at, we were the largest for a long time, bigger than Expedia. And of course, bigger than Priceline, which is not Booking.com, who's the biggest. Um, so when when they bought it back and took it private, I bailed because I said, you guys are going to screw this up, which they did. They took a billion-dollar company and later sold it to Expedia for $280 million. Come so on. They, now, yeah. Well, you know, they they put it back in the corporate world. So they broke it up as a company and they sent ops to ops and IT went back to IT and accounting went to accounting and it wasn't a company anymore. And it couldn't compete with Expedia, which was a nimble startup. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know Expedia was started by Microsoft. So here you had, you know, Microsoft fighting with American Airlines. It was was sort of battle of the titans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I became a speaker and an author, um, and I started joining boards. uh, And I was working at a VC company, General Catalyst in Boston, helping them with travel investments. And we kind of wondered why there wasn't vertical search and travel. And Mm -hmm. we said, maybe there should be a vertical search company. We looked at a few and Joel Cutler, the real visionary VC there said, I think I want to fund this. So he went out and he found the CIO and the CEO. And I became the chairman and we started kayak.com. And uh, really the first vertical search for travel. And that was a great eight year ride as chairman. Um and uh, as you said, we we took it public and then we sold it to Priceline for a billion eight. So that was a, a great ride. Uh and then I did more boards, and and as you and I just discussed, I got a call one day from the chairman of IBM who said, Would you come up and teach uh, IBM Watson about travel? Uh that turned into an investment in a company called Wayblazer, which uh ran for four years, unfortunately failed. Um that happens with startups. I've done five now. Um, and uh, we were just too early with AI and travel, um, mm-hmm. but learned a lot about AI. and uh, you know now I'm still speaking and writing and and uh, doing board work uh, and some some investing uh, and a lot of mentoring. so I'm on a lot of
0: advisory boards that's that's fantastic. I mean, and like I told you, when we first started talking, just the diversity of experiences that you've had is, is I mean, if there's a fly on the wall for for some of the things that you kind of saw and went through, I'm sure there's some amazing stories. So yeah, let me ask you. A, what's that? There are a few. Yeah. Well, so what was it like for you emotionally to go through all that? Like, and it sounds like you just kind of kept leveling up in different areas and they led to new opportunities. So, However, like, I'm sure there was some hard times or possibly some dark times when you were trying to oh. <laughs> create all that. So what, what was that yeah, like? Because I mean, look, were leaving, that, right?
1: leaving Travelocity was, was a very difficult decision. I could have stayed um, and they wanted me to stay, but it just didn't make sense. And um, I said, you know, it's time, time for a change. And the chairman of America said, you're 55. You know, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'll figure out something. And, you know, I figured out this great career where I could be a speaker and a board member. And I I did consulting for several years. I wrote two books. Um, You know, I think what's key is being curious. And I'm always curious about new things. I'm constantly reading. And one of the great things about speaking, as I do now, on disruption, my my new book is Disruption Off, available on Amazon, um, is I speak to so many different industries so, you know, whether whether it's uh, I just just talked to the largest water company in the world or, you know, a tech company or a security company, you can always learn about their business when you go to their conference or when you make a speech and you find all the parallels. And, and that's what's fun about speaking. So when I talk about technology and, and you know, I've got an upcoming speech uh, at Couchbase, big database company well, I'm going to talk about technology in other businesses and let them put the points together in their head because that's when you remember. So I might talk about drones in the oil industry or AI, you know, supporting the financial industry or something else and let them think about, well, I could do that if I did this. So, you know, success, particularly in technology it is about being curious enough to put different pieces together in a new way uh, to create more value. And and that's what I think I've done in my career. Have you read the, the book, The Innovation Secrets
0: of Steve Jobs? Uh, no, I've read his biography and some other books, but I haven't. That's okay. a good one. I should pick it up. That book's been recommended to me numerous times. And I, I ordered The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, but I heard The Innovation yeah. Secrets of Steve Jobs is absolutely amazing. So it just got me thinking of that when you're talking about like, Having unrelated topics or areas trigger like actions in there. So, well,
1: innovation, you know, what I say in my book is that culture and team are the two most important parts. You know, creating a culture where you allow failure uh, is mm-hmm. critical. And a lot of businesses don't allow failure. You know, if you fail, you get driven out. Well, kill projects, not people. Usually it's the project that failed, not the person. But if you kill people, then you won't get any more innovation. So, you know, culture and, and having a team of people who are the, the glass half-empty people, you know, or under the glass half-full people, you know, it, 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 the people who want change, the people who are driving it forward is really
0: important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it looks like we have Halim on here. Haleem, hello. He's saying hi in the chat. Um, so, So, Terry, I guess the question for you is, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Disruption off, but then you talk about disruption. So, so walk us through that, man. Like, walk us through your view sure. on that, and what and how massively it's been accelerated over the last. Well, months yeah, it's
1: amazing. You know, during COVID, digital disruption actually accelerated. So we're seeing you know amazing things where e-commerce is up thirty percent. Instacart hires three hundred thousand people. You mm-hmm. know. <clears throat> Curbside pickup, grocery delivery—it's uh, all happening at speed. You see major companies changing. Shell announced peak oil; they're going to pump less going forward, and they're installing fifty thousand electric car chargers. GM announced the end of the internal combustion engine. <laughs> yeah, so, um, telehealth—you know—is seventy percent of our doctor visits during COVID. We're telehealth. That's not going backwards. It'll go down, but it won't go backwards. So the kind of changes that were made will continue, and the companies who are successful coming out of COVID will be those who understand that these disruptions are permanent and they get on board, uh, even new business models. Philips, the lighting company, announced recently that they went to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam. So we don't want to sell you light bulbs anymore, we want to sell you light. We want a 20-year contract to light the airport. And they got it. So they put in immediately bulbs that use less power because they're paying for the power, bulbs that last longer because they're paying for the bulbs. And now they have a 20-year contract for an outcome. So lots of companies like Honeywell and Rolls-Royce and others are writing contracts for outcomes. We're seeing subscriptions. You know, who whoever thought we'd subscribe to Razors? Now, as you can see, I don't use a razor, but a lot of people do. And uh, you know, billion dollar shave company, right? Through subscriptions, so new business models are here, supported by new technology. The combination of AI, 5G, and IoT you know, is I mean, revolutionizing manufacturing. Um, I'm on the board at Boingo uh, and, and we build you know cellular and Wi-Fi networks, and we're finding corporations want to put in 5G networks and factories. because of the low latency, they can control industrial processes in a whole new way. So lots of exciting stuff coming. My book talks about all these new technologies that are coming for you. That's the first half of the book. That's to scare the crap out of you. <laughs> the second half of the book is what do you do about it? And it, again, it's really about building a culture where you take risk. Because without experimentation at risk, you're just going to die in the vine. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what's the right culture to do that? How can you be more agile? How can you make decisions more quickly? So that's that's really the book, and that's really what I preach to corporations: is because of quarterly earnings, you've driven innovation out of your company, and you can't do that anymore because you know there there are ten thousand startups every year that are biting your ankles, and and pretty soon one of them is going to knock you over.
0: It's interesting. So I, I got two questions for you as a follow up to that. I mean, what's the favorite, your favorite innovation, or I should say, disruption that you've seen over the last twelve months, or coming over the next twelve months?
1: Well, you know, I think it it probably is this any any business that combines artificial intelligence with the other technologies that are changing. So the combination of AI and three D printing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, GM just used that. They created 5,000 iterations of a seat bracket with AI, a little tiny part, right? And they eventually designed this seat bracket that looks like a Klingon warship. It's really weird looking. <laughs> uh, can only be built by a 3D printer. But guess what? It's 50% stronger and 20% lighter than the previous part. Well, imagine if all the parts in a car were 20% lighter. What would that do to mileage, right? Uh, And and people say, well, 3D printers are too slow. And I say, well, they only have to be faster than the boat from China, right, where the part was made before. (laughs) It's not going to be that fast. Um, And and so that combination is interesting. You know, the combination of IoT with AI. So at Honeywell, they have sold sensors for years. Like Mm -hmm. sensors oh, the compressor failed, and the red light goes on. Well, now instead of that, they will tell you the compressor failed, the air conditioning went off in Section 2, we've turned on the backup and dispatched service. Well, that's an outcome. That's a much higher value sale than selling a sensor. So I spent uh, a bunch of time two summers ago with their sales force retraining them to sell outcomes. A very different kind of a sale. You know, it's selling SaaS. It's about customer success, not just sell the iron and move on, and sell more iron. Um, so I think it's the combination of these new technologies with new business models that's giving companies new life and new leverage.
0: Yeah. I, and I love what you talked about in terms of selling outcomes because that that's what I work on with my clients too, is because companies don't care about features or all the cool jargon no. that your technology Fees does. Or, yeah, it's, It doesn't it's, matter
1: anymore. They can get all that online. Yeah, you know, As a salesperson, it's about what I can do to get you to your goal. So I always look at the salespeople who latch on to some middle executive, figure out what the goals of that executive are, and then say, okay, here, here's how my product can make you look good and get your company to its goal. And That's an outcome. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact I have this widget. It's how is the widget gonna transform your business?
0: Yeah, exactly. what you brought up about the 20 year contract in terms of the outcome for selling light or creating light, what, what, like, do they structure something in terms of ramifications if they don't execute on that? Sure.
1: Yeah. It's a, it, you know, they have, they have performance in there. I mean, it's like a SaaS contract, right? We guarantee to light the airport with so many lumens, you know, at, at a, at an average cost over 20 years of X. And here are the penalties for, Service failures. I mean, it's very much like a SaaS outsourcing computer contract. Um, there's a company in Germany that used to sell air compressors to business that needed, you know, compressed air in their factories. Now they sell air. <laughs> they just <they laughs> say, "We'll supply this much air every month." Uh, much more profitable for them. Easier for the company. The company doesn't have to run the compressor and find people. They just they just buy air. Um, so you know, it's sort of componentizing manufacturing. We've done that in software, right? So software is now a collection of open source parts flying in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and you add a little bit of your own sauce on top. Now that's what's happening in manufacturing. I'm going to outsource these parts of my factory to somebody else who's selling me the light and selling me the air and selling me the fuel. And I'm the one who, who puts it all together and makes a widget.
0: So, yeah, and that- That's great. I love that that analogy. And so what would you say is the number one mistake that companies make when when they're looking at innovation and disruption? Well Well, we talked
1: about I think I'll I'll give you an example. So I went to speak at a major insurance company. We spent all day with their 200 top execs talking about innovation. Everybody's pumped. We talked about culture and team and idea generation, idea selection. And then the chairman came in and said, Well, this is all good. But don't run around with your hair on fire. You can only innovate about these two things in the company. It was like, the air went out of the room because the guys in accounting had had some ideas. Well, they can't. You know, they were locked out and the guys in shipping were now locked. out, And everybody was like, it's crazy. You, you need to let people go and innovate um, and celebrate those successes and celebrate the failures. You right. know, this is, this is Ryan's idea. It failed. We're giving Ryan a a better job because it was the project that failed. Mm. Um, And and innovation can happen anywhere. I was at another company, 100 years old. It was an insurance company. Before the meeting, this one came up and said, I did something innovative. I said, what was that? She said, well, I noticed that everybody had to handwrite their applications on a PDF. So I unlocked the PDF online so they could type it. And just submit it. And that way, we, we, we didn't even have to scan it. right? We got mm-hmm. the data. Now, I didn't want to tell her that I, that idea was so old that the IRS had done that like five years before. <laughs> but it was innovation to them. And it made a huge difference. And she did it in her department. And, and nobody told her to. I mean, that's when you know you start getting accelerations in companies where people feel it's okay to try this and you won't kill me if I fail. Um, And that has to come from the top down. You have to reach down as a leader and celebrate those successes and the failures. And then you'll start getting more ideas. You know, at at General Dynamics, they read about crowdsourced ideas. So they did this online Mm -hmm. crowd. We'll get ideas from everybody in the world. Half of the ideas came from their own employees. They just hadn't listened before. The ideas are there, but you have to be welcoming of those ideas. And listen to them all the time. I mean, at, at Kayak, we we didn't have a phone bank because we're a search company, but we did get emails. All the customer complaints went directly to the engineers. Mm-hmm. And you might think that's crazy because engineers earn a lot of money. But our slogan was "Give the pain to the people who cause the pain," <laughs> and, and they listen and they fix the code right away. When well, no, oh, you know, as opposed to filtering it through other people. Um, they can hear the customer's
0: pain and they can innovate. And, and, I, I've never heard of that before. So that that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so like, I guess like tactically, let's take it one level deeper. How do you, and I know you said, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's gotta be supported from the top down, right? And then I love that example you're saying where you gave the, the problems to the people that caused them. And I didn't even probably word it the, the best possible way like you did. Good. So well, how do you, shoot. like, how do you tactically integrate that throughout your organization from the point in which you are, and it's easier, obviously, when you're smaller, right? Um, as sure. long as you smaller people, you got the leader. But how do you integrate that into a day-to-day, week-to-week activity where you're celebrating the losses and uh, also fostering innovation and disruption? So, like, how do you integrate that into a culture? Because there's, there's so many people, like tech CEOs that I'm working with and, and they're listening, they would love to hear that.
1: Well, you know, there are a couple of things you could do. Um, One of the things we did at American is, you know, we had an incentive program for ideas. And in this case, you know, we gave people goods. You could win a refrigerator or a mink coat of whatever you wanted. Mink coat, that's dating it a long time ago. Um, And as part of that program, every new idea in a department was reviewed by the manager of the department and two managers of different departments. Because what we learned was you might, for example, here's here's a real world example. So if you've flown on a regional jet, you, you know that many times you have to get off and walk across the tarmac in the rain or the snow to get to the airport. Right. Well, this guy invented that little walk the plank thing that they hook up to the regional jet now so you can go on a jet bridge. And he proposed that to the maintenance department and they said, I know, jet bridges are expensive. Nobody will want that. And, and we're out here in the rain. The customer should be too. You know, go away. <laughs> well, then we got this new program and sales and marketing got to hear about that idea. And they approved it immediately because they said regional jets save us money. We want more people to fly on regional jets. This is a way to make them happy. So if you circulate ideas widely, you get them around the naysayer, you know, oh, this is a bad idea, um, who's usually the person in the department. I mean, you might even be proposing a change to the idea that got that person to be the manager. (laughs) It's just that their idea now is twenty years old. They don't want. They don't want to change it. So, circulate ideas widely. Is one. The other is, as you become a more agile organization, you can deliver products more quickly to the customer. So, at Travelocity, we had you know an agile team that was delivering stuff. Every six weeks, we had new products for the customer. The stuff that took a year, that was done by different people. Because the customer doesn't care how much effort you put into it. They only care what they get. So we were constantly feeding them things every six weeks. So the customer said, well, I try to pretty cool. Look at this new thing. Look at this new thing. Uh, now, it might take a year to rewrite the underlying architecture. But that's okay. That was a different group so that both the people in the company and the customer were seeing change all the time. I mean, that's why I love my Tesla, because every six, eight weeks, I get a new car. You know, some new cool thing comes out. Uh, every other car I had when I bought it, that was it. Now right. this car is all the time, which is part of this cloud-connected, customer-driven innovation, uh, which is so exciting because John Deere doesn't have to wait till the annual meeting To hear from the dealer what they think the farmer is doing, they watch Mm -hmm. the farmer every day, and they can give the farmer something new so he becomes even more loyal to John Deere. So cloud-connected innovation with disparate products is driving everybody, even consumer products. I mean, uh, Olay just came out with some connected makeup system. You know, everybody's trying to do that so they get real-time customer feedback.
0: That's great. I love those examples and the the six weeks versus the one year team. I think that's that's excellent. What, how do you propose integrating that into the, the same kind of approach with sales and marketing?
1: Well, you know the neat the neat part about sales and marketing is that sales and marketing experiments all the time and fails a lot. I mean, <laughs> if you're in sales, you know how to fail because most of your new sales you just get kicked in the head. Um, <clears throat> so I do I don't think it's as hard as with other departments. You know, I've found that, that selling uh, sales tools is much easier than selling tools to IT because mm-hmm. sales is constantly looking for the new edge. You know, what can I do to, to break down the door? But I think it, it also, you know, is is your audience will see I'm the old gray beard here, I'm 70. Um, don't forget the old methods work too. Uh, in my last company, <clears throat> my you know, a lot of young kids who were doing sales and yeah, it's this one guy. I said, "Well, why haven't you gotten in to see this customer?" He said, "Well, I don't know. You know, I I texted him and I emailed him, and he didn't answer. Yeah. Did did you like call him? Did you go take him to dinner? Did you? Say, oh, do you do that? You know, it's like, yeah, you got, you got to use every every tool in the toolbox. Um, <clears throat> even direct mail still works. You know, anything to get in the door uh, is is important, and you can't just you know, your inbox is overflowing. Theirs is worse. Uh, so w- what new innovative thing are you going to do to get in the door? Um, you, you must be in sales almost more than any other part of the company. You have to be constantly evolving. I was talking to a bunch of sales guys from Aero Electronics three years ago, and I'm riding in the bus to the dinner before the speech. And I said, you know, what's changed? What's hard? And they said, and this was before COVID. Mm-hmm. But all the purchasing agents are working from home in their pajamas. We can't go see them anymore. We have to find a way uh, to change. And they were just starting to use Zoom tools to do that. Of course, now, you know, everybody's done it. And and we found that we can sell on Zoom. And we do. Uh, And and that's going to be real interesting to see how that changes. Because I think... I talked to an international consulting company last week. They had a hundred million dollar travel budget pre-COVID. They've cut it to 50. Wow. Wow. In consulting. Um, in in another company I'm on the board of, we used to send a salesperson and a sales engineer on every call. We deleted the engineer. The engineer is not going to go on video. So CFOs love all the money they saved on travel and and dinners and stuff and so it's going to be real interesting to see i think that we've proven that relationships can be nurtured and continued through video i don't know that we've proven how many new sales can be made on video once covid is over we're going to find out in some cases it works fine i mean hey I, we just sold a billion dollar company multi-billion dollar company <laughs> on video um you know, never
0: I'd say that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, yeah, it works. Um, but, you know, can I really get in the door and, and see, the, see the person I want to see and help them out just on video? Maybe,
0: you know, uh, I, I think it'll continue to work. Yeah, but, it will, because I've seen that. I talked to a lot of folks. and The more complicated the sales or the, what, people, what I see people struggling with are when there's sales process, there's 10, 12 people. Um you're trying to instead of having those one-off meetings after you have that group meeting, that's creating a different dynamic. Um yeah. so uh we, we do have a question in the chat for Ben Parker as well. And we're getting close on time, but he was asking, he, he said, Hey Terry, great conversation. Um, do you think corporations are are getting better or worse at innovating like startups?
1: Well, I I think they're getting somewhat better. I think um, corporate Venture capital uh, I'm not sure it works. Um, you know some people invest to make money, some people invest to listen well. Uh, you know I think what's interesting are those companies who do what I call the Silicon Valley petting Zoo. <laughs> they go out to Silicon Valley and they they look at a dozen startups. I was out with Ken Chenault, the former chairman of American Express, and he was doing it, and he said, "I do it twice a year, and we either buy the companies. Or, you know, understand they're going to be a competitor or we're inspired and, you know, kind of steal our ideas and go build it. Um, I think that's what's important is to keep uh, your ear to the ground at what's happening. Because, you know, 75% of startups fail, so they're not always the best ideas. But you look at Jamie Dimon's shareholder letter this week. He said, you know, fintech is going to come bite us in the jugular. We've got to change in finance. And FinTech is coming. You look at Jeff Bezos just wrote his last shareholder letter as as CEO because he's retiring. And, you know, it's about how do you add value? So I think there are companies who do it. And we're seeing these big announcements, you know, whether it's mass mutual into Bitcoin or, or the end of the internal combustion engine, you know, some of these companies are really understanding they have to change. But they're always the ossified old companies who say, well, It'll never happen. I mean, look, the the world's best candle company did not invent the light bulb. Right? They just <laughs> <improve> the <candle. laughs> it, it's, it's pretty hard to to move on. You, you heard the head of Toyota say electric cars will kill this industry, you know, and, and he's gonna go the way of the buggy would. Yeah, you know, it's not gonna work. For other yeah. people are saying, we, we we see it, we're changing. Look at British Petroleum just made the biggest bid ever for a uh, wind farm you know because these the big oil companies are saying we're in the energy business but a couple right. of them are a couple of them are saying oh we're staying in oil okay how do you make it work at uh, valero i spoke to valero oil and you see their gas stations everywhere oh, yeah. um their their most profitable product is reclaiming uh, grease and oil from restaurants and making biofuels And I talked to the guy who did that and he said, I had so much trouble, you know, my damn oil didn't come out of the ground. Everybody, nobody understood what it was. And now I'm running the most profitable division. It was a huge battle, but the chairman was supportive and now it works. And it it takes, that has to come from the top.
0: Right. That's crazy. I mean, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Not crazy. It's awesome. So um, (laughs) it's crazy and awesome. So I'm just processing everything in real time, man. So we're just about up on time. Where, where can everybody find you? Where can they learn more about sure.
1: you? Um, well, tbjones.com, T is in Tom, B as in boyjones.com. tbjones.com is my website. You can find me there. There's tons of videos of, of speeches on all kinds of topics on innovation and change. My books on innovation and disruption off are available on Amazon in the paperback Kindle and audio book narrated by me. Um, so I think they're very unusual books. They're both 72 three-page chapters. So they're a cookbook. You can read them super fast. They're short-form media for today. Um, it's a business book you'll actually finish. Uh, and uh, I'm a great speaker, virtual or in-person. I'm fully vaccinated and giving my first in-person speech next week. Nice. Um, so happy, happy to come help your organization talk about innovation. And one thing I really do in those is is heavily customized. So what I want to do is learn about your industry, learn about what you're doing, put that in my speech. I call my speech a jelly donut. Every Everyone has new jelly in it. The, the donut is kind of the same. Um, so I want, to, I want to make it relevant and, and useful for your team because a lot of speeches are just, oh, you're the guy after lunch. And I want to be the guy where you walk away and say, I can do some of these things next week because I don't need to do this. I want to do it to help corporations change.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I encourage you to check out his website. I was I was checking it out in his speeches, which I haven't seen him do live, but they look absolutely amazing. It was like a visual light show and all the different slides. and so uh, he does not disappoint on that side either. Um, also, with your books, you have a quote at the beginning of every chapter as well, which is pretty cool. Um, so, absolutely love that. So, hey, it was a real pleasure having you on today, Terry. Love, thanks the, Ryan. love the perspective. And, um, and thanks, to
1: everyone in the audience. And uh, please reach out if I can help you.
0: And appreciate you, the listener, checking it out. So, have a good one. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering.